0: Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our new Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Well, welcome, I'm Pastor Rob and it's great to join you. A number of people, I just found out the total, we have 93 at our third site. Once a year, we have another uh, group of people uh, worshiping down in Indiana. Uh, so we have an India site down in uh, Turkey Run, actually a Waveland State uh, County Park, and 93 people, they're enjoying God's creation, enjoying each other and worshiping, and we got to enjoy the climate control uh, environment of this and our beds and our houses, so that's so great. Um, this morning, we're going to do a, a different sermon. So normally, we would, we're would we going through Daniel, chapter by chapter, understanding what is Daniel saying. We want everyone to be there, so next week, we'll cap it off our series in Daniel. This week, we're going to do a, a one-off ser- sermon on Psalm chapter 90. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Psalm chapter 90. Uh, the reason I picked this is Pastor Jeff and Pastor Mike and myself spent a couple days this week, and prior to this, but... Specifically, this week, studying the book of Psalms, we're studying Psalms, trying to understand uh, what is it getting at. Jeff is with this group called Words Partners. Pastor Jeff works part time doing mission work; he does that abroad, but also locally. They take pastors and help us, you know, work on like retool our uh, preaching skills on uh, different books of the Bible. Psalms is one of them. And so, Word Partners' their mission is this. Uh, to put the Word of God in the driver's seat of the church and put his glory on display, to put the the Word of God in the driver's seat of the church and his glory on display. and so they're taking us through psalms, and I saw some things that I 've never seen before. You know typically I, I went I go through psalms for a devotion, I might read a psalm a day, look for a psalm that kind of feels the way I want it to feel, you know? And it's kind of like a radio. the radio. When I was listening to the radio, you just keep tuning it, listen for a song. I want to listen to this one. That's how I have viewed Psalms. Well, Psalms has got a, a unified message and a theme. It's a trajectory that it's going somewhere. And I didn't quite know it or understand it. This is the quote one of the guys said from Word Partners this week. God's king is leading God's people to God's presence to sing God's praise. I'll say it again. God's king is leading God's people to God's presence, to sing God's praise. I like that, kind of capturing how Psalms works. To give you an overview of authors, who wrote most of the Psalms? David, King David wrote most of them, 73 of the 150. Do you have that slide at all? There's, here's the other authors. Asaph wrote 12. Korah, the sons of Korah, wrote 11. A guy named Heman and Ethan, they, they each wrote one. Moses uh, wrote one. That's the one we're going to do today. Solomon wrote two. That's David's son. And 50 are anonymous. Um, As we look at Psalm 90, if that's the oldest one, what does that say about the order, how these are ordered? They're not ordered chronologically. They're ordered some other way. They're ordered by way of uh, message or theme or trajectory. Psalm 137 might be the oldest one. It talks about Babylon, if you remember, in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, the people of Israel are captured by the Babylonians and the royalty and nobility are dragged off to be indoctrinated and taken into the Babylonian court um, for whatever use that they, they had. Daniel was one of those, those guys. And so 37, 137 talks about in the waters of Babylon. So we know that this, the Psalms were put together after that at some point, maybe 530 B.C., um, when the Israel is coming back to, to, to their land, and they're rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the city, rebuilding the temple, and they're using this book as a book of worship. We'll find that, that Psalms ebbs and flows, and so some are recounting God's work in the past, praising God for what he's done. Some are looking forward to the Messiah in the future. Psalm 110 would be an example of this. They're praises to be sung, prayers to be prayed, words to be memorized and meditated on. There's some called the songs of ascent as they they rise and they walk to the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's put on a 2,000-foot a mountain, uh, Mount Moriah, and that's the temple's right there. And some are laments, mourning and grieving over something. Some are our our words of praise and thanksgiving. Some are petitions. It's a hymnal buried in the Bible. What do we know about Moses? Do you remember Moses? Yeah, you remember Moses. He's a prophet. He's in the desert, stuck in the desert, forty years. He killed a guy. He's on the limb, on the lamb, and he's he's out in the desert shepherding sheep. And God speaks to him out of a burning bush that doesn't burn. And he calls him to be a, a voice piece for God. And he goes, he's to go to Pharaoh. He doesn't want to do this, but he has his brother Aaron, helps him out. And he goes to Pharaoh. And what, what is, what's going on? Remember the people of Israel? What's happening with them? They've been enslaved for 400 years. And they're crying out to God for help. And God answers their cry. And he sends Moses and he sends Aaron. And, and he's, his message is, let my people go. Does he let them go? No, he doesn't let them go. It takes 10 miracles to let his people go. And he lets his people go at the at 10th, at the 10th one. And then the people go, and they go to the promised land. The promised land, it takes them 11 days to get there, but it doesn't take them 11 days. Why? Because they sin. They rebel. And we're going to read about this in Psalm chapter 90. They, they fall away from God many times again and many times, many again and again and again. And what should take a couple weeks took 40 years. Moses goes from being 80 when he's called. Consider that if you're an octogenarian, if you're 80, you're being called to ministry. And he he lives 40 years in the desert. And if if you're not in Turkey, if you haven't been to Turkey around or don't like camping, this is not one day, but this is 40 days or 40 years, 365 days in the sand. It doesn't sound fun. And they, they struggled with it, right? And we would struggle with things too. And and so we'll see our struggle in this chapter. There's some dark parts about this chapter. There's some light parts. Psalm 90, if I were to capture in a sentence, a main idea, it'd be this, for those taking notes. This psalm is a prayer of mercy and perspective in light of the past, looking forward to the future. This is a, psalm is a prayer for mercy and perspective in light of the past, looking forward to the future. Psalm chapter 90. You have your Bibles, you can read along with me. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight our but is yesterday when it's passed or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, I pray that you would teach us to consider our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that you would give favor to us and show mercy and make our hearts glad. Some may feel distant from you. I pray that you'd be near. Some may feel your wrath. I pray that they'd feel your love. Help, us, help me, in Jesus' name, amen. So what's your number? Not your phone number. What's your number? How many days do you have left? What if God told you how many days you had left? 14,308. That's the number I have till I turn 80, if 80 is my number. I was at this conference with the Word Partners, and one of the guys, the pastor was just saying, he went to a workshop or a class, and the, the professor talked about having a, a, numbering our days till, the, till you turn 80 or 70. Now, some of you might be over 80, Praise God. And so we asked, what do you do then? We asked. He said we well, just start adding. Each day is a day of mercy, day of God's grace. God is gracious. 14,308. How many days do you have left? What if God told us how would you live your life differently? Maybe you've heard the Latin phrase carpe diem, seize the day. There's a missionary named CT Studd. He's quite a stud. He wrote this poem, and I love this phrase he wrote. One life to live till soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. One life to live till soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. How do we use our time? How do we number our days? Do we gain a heart of wisdom? Don't we, we want God's help? I need God's help. I need his perspective. There's there's a podcast I listened to earlier this year. He was looking back at this experience where he's looking at his funeral and he, what are people going to say of him? And he didn't want more money, didn't want a promotion, didn't want to get more things done. He wanted something. And so whatever that goal was, he thought, "Okay, now how do I get that from here to there?" And I thought yeah, that's a secular way of looking at things, but how do we live in a way to number our days rightly? How do we gain that eternal perspective? You know, often I can get caught up in the tree, the thing right there, that, the, the problem, the leaky faucet, the, you know, the, the car problem, or whatever that, the project that I'm working on right now, and I forget the bigger picture. What is God calling us to right now? We can get hung up, stressed out, and off track so quickly in our limited time. Without God in the picture, I think we can miss it. And this psalm is, a, is actually hopeful, even though there's some darkness in it looking forward to the future as Moses is on the, the edge of the promised land, looking for God to establish the work of his hands. So as we look at our day, how do we use it that we gain a heart of wisdom? Let's look at the structure of this. I, I did a Sunday school class at Sawyer before this, and at first I just thought one, the first verse was an introduction. I think the first one and two introduces the idea of God and his relationship to us. He's a refuge. Verse 3 through 11 expand on this eternal nature and contrast it with our temporal one. He lives forever. He's outside of time, and we aren't. We'll live forever, but we have a starting point. This psalm is a prayer for mercy and a perspective in light of the past. And the truths propel a a series of prayer requests in verses 13 through 17 as he looks forward to the future. Let's, Let's dig in. Verse 1, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Now think about that. Moses is saying you've been our dwelling place? How has Moses experienced God as a dwelling place? He's wandering through the wilderness. He's not stationary. He's in a tent. The people don't have a temple. They don't have a synagogue. They don't have a church building while they're wandering. All generations, where were they before they're in the wilderness on the way to the promised land? They're in Egypt, and God is their dwelling place in in slavery for 400 years? You have been our dwelling place for all generations. What is he talking about? It's not physical. It's spiritual. God offers refuge, a spiritual refuge, for those who seek it. Do you seek it? A guy named Augustine said, Our hearts are restless until it finds rest in God. Our hearts are restless until it finds rest in God. Moses is just praying back to God who he is. Moses is worshiping God, proclaiming God, expressing his heart to God. Look at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Moses is reminding himself and us of something, what is he reminding them of? The first book he wrote, which is Genesis, he, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Put them together. God gave him these words; they're, they're inspired. And in the first book, in the first chapter, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. He created the waters, the sea and the land. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, and he's pointing in the first chapter of the, of the book of the Bible that God is outside of his creation he's outside of time he's greater than his creation and we get that i think you think about you know your your iphone the iphone steve jobs is greater than the iphone you think about you think about van gogh vincent van gogh he is greater than the starry night that he painted right a farmer is greater than the seed and livestock God is greater in the same way than his creation. But often I think we forget, and that's why these words in here are helpful for us. We get caught up in our day and thinking in the moment and not thinking with eternal an eternal perspective. And we want a heart of wisdom. We need his help. Verse 3, Moses talks about dust. Look at verse 3. It points us back to, to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, this is I'll just quote this. The Lord formed, Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Genesis 2 verse 7. In chapter 3 what happens? Mankind falls away and to dust they return. They embrace or they are given the curse because of their sin. Verses four through six, Moses expands on the nature of God and man, using more language from Genesis with mornings and evenings and a flood. Our life's a breath; it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It's hard to hear, but it's true. The significance, the grand, though significant, life is significant in the grand scheme of things. Even our greatest works are quickly overshadowed. So. For the young children in here, how many have heard of a guy named Charlton Heston? Have no, some I have not heard of Charlton Heston. If you're 20 and under, have you heard of Charlton Heston? Or 30 and under? How many have heard of Charlton Heston? It's a little bit the older crowd, maybe. Um, He he produced, or he was starred in a hundred movies, about a hundred movies. And one in particular relates to this. What is it? The Ten Commandments. That's right. He made the, t- he was in the- he was Moses in the Ten Commandments. And he and that film won seven, or it was nominated for seven Academy Awards. It won one for best visual effects from 1956. You wonder what those are like, right? What's interesting is that movie is in the top 10 gross producing or the most revenue for films. Uh, with inflation, you know how much money it's brought in? It's incredible. It's over $2.5 billion. Yet, I've never seen it. I've heard of him, but I've never seen it. So quickly, our even greatest you know, achievements as man, in mankind gets overshadowed. The greatest thing that he's done, you know, or you know, this great movie. We haven't seen. We, a generation doesn't know who this guy is. We go to a graveyard, there's, there's all these names of people who've lived lives, interesting lives, and they're, they're just a no, name on a grave, gravestone. I think we sense in ourselves there's more to life than what we see. At a, at a funeral, there's more to life than a, a body, that something else is going on. God has put, in Ecclesiastes it says, God has put eternity in our hearts. I think we often think, it's kind of like this battle, we often think of ourselves as immortal. We seek, we pine for significance and likes and followers. Uh, And then we neglect the reality of the brevity of life and who we are in light of eternity. When I exercise, I feel my mortality. I feel like my back back backache, my feet hurt, my neck sore. Uh, When I'm young, you know, we we don't worry about things like driving in the snow and like the glare at night. In our youth, we we do crazy things, we take risks, and we can't imagine repeating nowadays. Time slips away, and we realize how small we are, and we strive to make a mark in the world, and get promoted, and shine, and make a difference, and stand out, and then we see our abilities and our accomplishments are just part of the fabric of life, and much of life is in the mundane, right? We make our contributions, we do our things. These verses point us back to the Garden of Eden, to Genesis where we were dwelling with God in perfection and his eternal peace in our hearts, I think there's part of our hearts longed for the good old days, don't they? Where God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help and trouble. Unfortunately, there's a barrier. We've experienced this barrier, and Moses actually talks about it here in the next few verses. Look at verse seven. There's this barrier. He's, he said this in the beginning, but now he's getting into this trouble. Verse seven. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You've set your, our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in light of your presence. The Bible teaches us that God is holy and not apathetic. He judges and disciplines and brings to justice sin. And God gives Moses a top ten list and he sees all his people break every one of them. Here's the top ten. Don't have any other gods. Don't make a graven image of God. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. That's my favorite as a parent. Um, Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. And they broke every one of those in the 40-year term. So when he says, you've set our iniquities before you. These are the iniquities. This is the sin. Jesus summed it up. It's actually, some of us are like, well, I've never murdered. I, I haven't stolen anything recently. You know, like, Jesus summed up the the law and the commands this way. You might remember this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophet. If If we see the law, the Ten Commandments like this, we see ourselves in Psalm 90. As someone who's sinned against God and not loved God as much as we should or not loved our neighbor as much as we should. The thought of of God being angry at sin is a little politically incorrect, don't you think? But Moses says it. He sees it. The reason he says it is because he sees it in 3D. His prayer amplifies this emotion and this, this disconnect between him and God and the people and God in verse 9 and 10. Look at verse 9. All our days... Pass away under your wrath. For we bring, our years to, you bring, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet there spans but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. We read death and difficulty throughout the Bible. It's the result of Genesis chapter 3, the result of, of doing our own thing. And, and our, our friends... Just go and they'll do their own thing, striving to gain life again. So there's Botox, there's eating, there's diet. You know, we're, we're going to exercise. We're going to try to live as long as we can, enjoy this life. It, hundreds of years ago, there, a guy named Paul Stelion tries to f- find the fountain of youth in in Florida. You know, people are searching for life because God has written eternity in our hearts and we long to go back to Eden. We long for a refuge. And the revolts effects of the fall are still with us. And we toil and trouble. We experience this anger. Look at verse 11. He asks this question. This is a turning point in the psalm. Verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? What's the answer? No one. I was in the Sunday school, and they're like, none of us. I mean, no one. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. We we don't really get this. We don't follow God as best we should. In 2021, do we consider the power of God's anger? It's easy to think of God as love, right? That's scriptural. That's true. That's a fact. He's love. But do we consider the power of his anger? Or his wrath according to the fear of me? You know, there's various views of God. We have various perspectives on what is what God is. We have to go back to the Bible to understand who God is, and it's saying that He's angry. Is that right? Is that true? Well, let's look at this. Let's look at anger, anger in general. Is it right to be angry at evil? It's it's important. If if there is injustice, like at uh, the the Holocaust. Is it okay to be angry at the Holocaust? I think there's injustice. It's okay to be angry at injustice. But when it comes to um, ju- so then you wouldn't rejoice in that. And in the past, Moses is seeing his history, and he's seeing God's anger at, his, at the sin of his people. But then he looks forward in faith and seeks God's favor. I think there's some perspectives that look at the history of our, you know, our news headlines and see, well, God is angry. He's judging, you know, America, you know, but they have a hard time seeing God as love. And I don't think they might be seeing correctly there. And then there's those who might see God is angry and it's a, his anger is a weapon. Like Santa Claus, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why he's coming after you and God is used it as a tool for authorities to manipulate the masses and he's not waiting up there with a switch to, to whack us and keep us in line. The Bible says he disciplines in love. He disciplines in love, and I think I think part of the challenge of reading this in our day is we have a small view of God's holiness and a narrow view of our sinfulness. At least for me. You know, do we do we understand who God is? Do we fear God? I don't. I don't think if when we talked about fear, we did the Proverbs series. It's not like a I'm terrified, and I want to get away as fast as possible. But do I respect and honor and revere the Holy God? And our lives and our culture. I think we respect and fear certain things, like the stock market. Man, it's got to be good. Or or what if it's bad? Or unemployment rates. Or we we're afraid of China. We're afraid of the border, we're afraid of this disease, we're afraid of this or that, but are are we respectful? And what's our view of God in light of eternity? I think I can grow personally in understanding justice in eternity. If we dig into the context, Moses can pray this way because he's seen the power of God's anger again and again. He's lost loved ones as they head to the promised land. The people complain. God gives them this wonderful food in the morning, every morning. They have this free food, except for Saturday, their Sabbath day. uh, They get extra on Friday. He gets free food, and what do they do? They complain. And so he sends a plague to take them out. Numbers chapter 11. Moses' sister, Miriam, sees Moses in charge. This isn't fair. This isn't right. She she questions his leadership. God demonstrates his anger by giving her leprosy temporarily. Numbers chapter twelve, a guy named Korah, him and his family, they rebel against Moses and God, and God. I think this is the one where they swallows them up. In Numbers chapter sixteen, the the people complain about Moses and God again in chapter twenty one, and he demonstrates his power by sending poisonous snakes, and that's where Moses lifts up a snake on a pole, and everyone who looks on, you know, looks at this pole, uh, will live. And it's, it's a precursor, and, it's, and Jesus refers to it, where everyone looks on the Son of Man will live. And then in Numbers 25, they hook up with Moabites and start worshiping other gods, and God gives a death sentence to them again. God is not one to trifle with. He's not a pushover. Yet people make up their own rules and kind of live their life and wonder what's going on. Or they feel dissonant from God, this disconnect from God. And Moses asks this question, and he's praying, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And he looks behind him, all the people. It's the next generation. Those who are willing to follow him into the promise. Or he actually has to experience God's discipline because he can't go to the promised land. But all the people behind him, that generation have passed away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? No one. But, Where's the grace? Where's the goodness? Where's the happiness here? Look at verse 12. So, what is he going to do? Is he going to run from God? No. Teach us to number your days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Verse 12. What's the beginning of wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. Having a proper perspective of God is a starting place in our relationship with God. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Who is our God? How do you understand God? Is he a caricature, a cartoon? Are we going to our Bibles and understanding, seeking to figure out who is he? Do you want to know him? Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. What's our aim? We want to know God. Moses keeps praying. Return, O Lord, how long? Again, he's not running from God. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. He's seen the justice. I want pity. I want mercy. I want grace. What do you want? Verse, the verse goes on, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as you've seen evil. Maybe you've seen evil and maybe you've felt God's affliction and you're asking to be glad. I want to be glad in God. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Moses asks God to return. Why? As much as God has been his dwelling place, when they turned away from God and worshiped idols, they were distancing themselves from God. And he's turning himself to God, asking God to to be near again. And maybe you felt that. Maybe you felt that distance because of sin. That secret sin or that, that the repetitive sin or the past sin or present sin. And, and you want to be near God. You want to make, you want him to make you glad. You want satisfaction in him. You want to experience the steadfast love of the Lord. Moses wanted that. Look at the verbs in these last few verses, 12 through 17. He's asking God to teach, to pity, to satisfy, to make glad, to show his work, to show favor, to establish this work. Now, what's work? What was the work Moses was praying about? He wasn't going to enjoy this. He's, on the, he's at the edge of the promised land, looking at the promised land. He can't go because of the discipline, but the children can. The next generation can. And so he's saying, you know, in the future, Lord, establish this. I want to see your work man, uh, manifest, magnified established. Show favor to the next generation. Show favor. Make us glad in you. I think if we are happy in God, if we are happy in God, the things of this earth become less enticing. So here's three different things I think we can grow in when I'm looking at this passage. How does this this passage, it's got some hard things in it. How does it help us? Well, here's one what's your view of God? What do you think of God? Two, are we numbering our days? How do you view our time? And three, how are you praying? Maybe these words are your, you can make these your words. You can just pray them in your own words. Use this as to springboard in your own conversation with God. That's a great way to use the Psalms. How, now here's a question. How can we be so bold and audacious to approach a holy God? How does How how do we approach a a God who judged Israel so fiercely? How can we ask for mercy? How do we number our days? How do we think of God rightly? I think we need to go to the cross. We need to go to the cross because God pours out his steadfast love like a river overflowing, overwhelming our sin with grace and mercy. He sent his one only son to die that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life forever. Forever and ever. We can be brothers and sisters in Christ as we turn from sins and we're, we're following him together. None of us, fam- our families are perfect, right? But imperfect as we are, we can be a family of faith and we will be perfected in heaven and it'll be awesome. We can do this together and he takes away his anger and wrath and pours it out on his son, that we don't have to experience that. So in the dark days, we can have grace, light, and hope if we have Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, whether you're young or old, you can have him by turning from sin and saying, I want to follow you, Lord. I need your mercy. Jesus came to right the wrong, to forgive the sin, to redeem the lost, and ultimately return us to Eden with him and our dwelling place, be our dwelling place, spiritually and physically. He died to undo the cross and rose victorious to demonstrate his power. Who do you know who's risen from the dead? He did it. And he promises to do that for us who put their faith in him. And one day we will be with God unhindered by sin. The, book, uh, the last book of the Bible is Revelation, and it ends this way. I love this. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Isn't that good news? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us gain perspective. Thank you for giving us your Bible, your, the truth for us to meditate on, know who you are. Help us understand who you are. Help us number our days correctly. And help us pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you. May abound in hope.